Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am very excited to have you here as always, and a pre Thanksgiving episode uh, here in the States. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. If you're listening uh, within the time frame, I'm releasing it. If you're listening to it on Thanksgiving, it's today. And if you're listening to it tomorrow, then it's sometime after Thanksgiving. So, welcome, and whatever you're doing, please stay safe, stay warm wherever you are. I know a lot of parts of the country are, always, uh, are already getting fairly cold. I've seen some uh, some deep snow pictures already from some places, especially back east. So uh, please stay warm, everybody, and uh, stay safe out on the roads. Please be smart. We have Uber now, so if you get a little too tipsy on the holidays, please find a way to get home safe. That's the most important thing. Uh, it's always tragic when we lose somebody, but somehow it seems worse on a holiday, which... You know, it's just meant for a little extra joy and celebration during this time of year. So uh, so that's my little, um, you know, my public service announcement. Uh, today, I have my good friend Greg German on the show. Greg is a touring drummer. He goes on tours of theatrical shows. Right now, he's touring with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, he's out east. So if you're out east uh, this time of year, please check your schedule. See if it's coming to your town and go see it. I've heard it's quite a fantastic show. I won't get to see it until later this uh, this coming year when they come to Vegas. So uh, it'll be a while. And by then, uh, many of you will hopefully have seen it and enjoyed the show. Uh, I met Greg a few years ago when I was living in L.A., uh, absolutely great guy we've met in person which always adds a little extra element i think to uh to a friendship and uh he introduced me to some great people that uh that i'm uh, our dear friends of mine here in vegas and uh we met through our mutual friend dean ogden who has his own podcasts uh, on the hit uh he created the scorecast podcast which i was the editor of for a couple of years and uh and also uh he and i started rebel creative podcast together which has uh, some some great tips on uh different forms of of uh, being an artist and different ways to uh, maybe maximize your time and your effort. So there might be some things to check out there for you as well. Uh, I worked on, I think it was the first 50 episodes of that. So uh, lots of good stuff. You could find both of those on uh, iTunes. Also on the hit is on iTunes. So check out Greg's episode there. And there's some really good guests that Dean had on. So uh, feel free to peruse those episodes. And if somebody seems interesting to you, check it out. If they don't seem interesting to you, I would still check it out. Because especially if you're in the music business, there's lots of interesting things in every single episode. So without further ado, uh, let's get to Greg. Let's welcome Greg German to the show. Greg, how are you today? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I want to thank you uh, for making time. Our schedules have been uh, a little crazy as of late, but you actually just got off stage. I did. I did about uh, 15 minutes ago. (laughs) And here you are doing a podcast, uh, and you're uh, you just started a new tour with uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, are you yeah. so you're doing is it just North America on this tour? Yes, uh, North America. We're going to go to actually the next stop after here is uh, we're in Philadelphia now, and we go to Toronto for about seven weeks. Seven weeks in Toronto. Wow. Yeah. Is it is it a lot of different locations, or you just you just buckle down for a couple months? In Toronto, it's the same theater. Yeah, yeah. It has to do with ticket sales. Right. Yeah. That they they must really love their entertainment up there. They do, or or chocolate. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I have not seen uh, the musical version of this show. 
would would you say it follows the movie fairly well, or does it kind of take its own direction? It it's, uh, it's actually follows the book. The book, okay. Um, it's more like the book, yeah. Um, it's really fun. It's a fun ride. It's, it's uh, Mark Shaman wrote a lot of the music, mm. and uh, you know, uh, film score. You know, like some of his, you know, in Seattle, and uh, he actually did the South Park movie, I think, too. But he also okay. wrote he also wrote Hairspray. That was like the yeah, that's right. Show that he wrote. Uh, he wrote the music, and it's it's very uh, cartoon like. Really, you know, it's like uh, a lot a lot of the music is very like Looney Tunes. Yeah, playing some like really fast like two beats, you know, and uh, a lot of different styles in the show too. Just really fun. You get to play some some big band stuff. You get to play uh, like a rumba, quote unquote Latin number, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be fun. <laughs> um, it is fun. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun, um, and uh, a lot of you know, zany tempos. I, I, I guess you could call it tempo tempo de ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> and that's got to be fun for you because you know if you're just up there playing four four all the time, it just you know there's only so much you're going to enjoy versus something you can really kind of push yourself a little bit on. Yeah, this I I actually shed this book about three months before we even started rehearsal. Really? So. Yeah, it was um, the the original drummer who did it on Broadway. Uh, this guy uh, Warren Oates. He gave me all the materials. Uh, he gave me like a pit recording, and um, like an audio recording, and he gave me a copy of the drum book that they used on Broadway, and I was able to learn it, and uh, uh, kind of uh, copy a lot of what he did, and and sort of get the gist of what it was, and then when we got to rehearsals in New York. Um, to do the tour, they sort of uh, morphed things. They, they they cut one of the songs. They added a whole new song. Mm-hmm. Uh, they changed some of the underscoring. You know, so a lot of it is is uh, you know you try to know the show as best you can, but what they say, uh, uh, expect the unexpected. Sure, <laughs> sure. And you know, and I would imagine that every director kind of wants to tell the story at least a little bit in their own way. I'm sure from a legal perspective, there's certain things that they have to do. Traditionally, there's certain things that they have to do. But I'm sure everybody wants to put a little bit of their own touch on their tour of the show. Sure. Well, well, this um, we had a, a director named Jack Doyle, and one of the things that he would say is. You never really get it right. He actually he actually directed the Broadway version too. Oh, okay. Um, so so he already knew the material, but he said you never really get it right. You just kind of open, hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so so it's like it's basically saying everything is even when it's open, it's still sort of a work in progress, and you know you're still trying to figure out little ways to tell a story, I and mean, that's what's sort of different about theater and film because once it's in film, it's locked. Right. You know, once that picture is locked, it's, it's, I mean, you can edit it here and there, but it's pretty much, you know, unless they shoot another scene, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, so with theater, you know, I mean, we're, we're sort of locked now too, but you know, there's improvisation on stage sometimes and mm-hmm. especially a show like this, because let's be honest, Willie Wonka is kind of out of his mind, you know, so. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, but but yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, you you guys have your set tempos and things, but the actors aren't going to speak in exactly the same speed in exactly the same way. So you have to have that, you know, breathable 
setup to where yeah. you can roll with, okay, well, somebody didn't get to their to their spot on stage in time, so we had to drag the scene a couple seconds more. Um, you, know, th- you have to be able to roll with that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, a lot of that falls on the conductor, and then, he, you know, he's, he watches the stage, and we just try to follow uh, as best we can to, uh, to try to make everything work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the, but the conductor's really the mediator, the go-between in between the stage and the, uh, the band. Sure. You know, that's why he's so important. Exactly. And, you know, you, you got to watch somebody swing a baton once in a while. That's just fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, how much of an adjustment do you guys have to make when you go from city to city and you're playing in a different theater? Because it's not like Cirque du Soleil where you bring the tent and you bring the theater with you. You're You're really kind of just going into whatever setup in the venue you have. True. I would say that every theater has its own set of challenges. Sometimes it's spatial. Sometimes the pit lives deeper. Like, for example, when we were in Chicago, uh, the, the pit was so high so the conductor could see the stage that I couldn't even see the conductor's hands or anything. I had to watch him on a monitor. Oh, wow. And there's other cities where he's literally right in front of me and I can see him, like, you know, he's almost on the same level as he maybe a couple feet higher, and actually, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, in, this, in this theater, um, he's sort of in the middle, so, so I can watch his hand, but it's kind of like Ichabod Crane <laughs> conducting me. I don't see his head. Oh, you don't? Not at all? <laughs> no, not at all. I see his hands. I see his hands move, but, but above a certain plane, I, I can't see it. So I can see about up to his just the bottom of his neck, and that's it. <laughs> well, you know, being kind of around Halloween season, it's probably appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a fall, nice fall, you know, day. You right. Know, from the northeast, <laughs> so you know, hey, it's cool. So, do you always have the the video monitor then as a backup? Yeah, we always have the video monitors. Um, this one, the problem because it's digital, it's actually on a delay. Oh. So, unless everybody's watching on the monitor, it's really weird because it's like it's like watching like football live and then on the tv it's like that kind of delay right and and some of these temples are so fast you you can't really go with the monitor unless you know because the most important thing is be together not necessarily right so yeah you know it it's been a problem since day one but we're, we're you know we try to make it work the best we can i mean a lot of it is um you know when the conductor's in front of me, I just try to memorize as much of the book as I can mm-hmm. and just try so I can watch him as much as I can and not have to look necessarily at the music so well, much. But, but, but there are other numbers that are clicked, and then I can just follow the, go with the click, and it's all good. Right, right. Well, that was going to be one of my questions for you, because you're, you don't actually sight-read during the show, or are there certain parts that you might do that? Oh, well, yeah, you don't really sight-read. I mean... I don't think you could ever, as a drummer, you can never sight read uh, and play a show because unless but there's like a a brand new chart or something, then you have to sight read. Mm-hmm. But because the the whole thing about being a drummer is that there's all these like transitions, and you're kind of you know the conductor can do his thing, but as a drummer, you're what everybody hears, so everybody plays with you, mm-hmm. you know. So you know, sort of. The conductor can do the tempo, but the drummer's kind of the enforcer. 
or you could say it as uh, the conduct the conductor is the driver, but the drums are kind of like the engine that they can all go. Right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's the thing is that they can all sync to you if they're yeah. a little bit off because you're going to be the one constant that's going to cut through everything no matter what. Yeah, and, and on this tour too, it's 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 not just me. There's um there's a core of us. So uh, there's a, two keyboard players, a conductor, and a bass player, and me, and we kind of we kind of all drive the show together, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to make it to make it go. But there's some there's some transitions where it's like it's kind of crazy. Uh, we'll be playing one tempo, and then another com- tempo will just come out of nowhere to get to the next one. So you know, we have to we have to kind of figure out, you know, we had to kind of figure this all out in rehearsal and how to drive it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and now with this tour, so we have the five of us that are four players. And, um, and then we hire like eight or nine people, local musicians. Oh, okay. So that's, that's, that's also, that's also a big, uh, that's also a big, um, uh, big endeavor, big yeah. endeavor every week, you know? Sure. So, well, it's, it's it's the unknown variable every time you go to a new city because you've got your guys, you're comfortable, you know your stuff. Then you go somewhere else and you're adding people to the mix that aren't familiar. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I kind of look at it as like um, we're we're kind of coaches. So we our job is to kind of like, I mean, at least for me, I try to make everyone feel comfortable and sort of give encouragement. And if something's really really crazy, then maybe you can give them, you know give them a note or talk to the conductor. You know, there is a hierarchy, so you don't want to like overstep your bounds. But um, if somebody has a question or something, you know, you want to be there to help them. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's about the show, not about the music. And you don't want the band, local musicians, to be like sort of the the reason why the show isn't as enjoyable. Sure. When something could be be fixed. Right. And and you also want them to walk away with a good experience from, from their effort in the whole thing and then them to want to continue and do another show or maybe next time you're back in town you play with them again and you kinda of have that rapport already. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I I mean that's that's what happened to me on, on this. I mean I've I've been to three four towns and already I've I've seen a lot of people that I've seen in the past. One on Wicked or I've you know, I've done a bunch of tours now, so um Picking up locals is sort of sure uh, old hat for me in a way. So I, you know, so what, so what we do is we travel all day Monday, and then we have a rehearsal Tuesday morning, and sort of get the locals up to speed. And uh, then we have a sound check with the locals, and then we do the show that night. So Tuesdays are crazy long. Um, so so you know, but but the uh, it, it, it's always good to get some new blood in there and sure. you know switch it up a little bit because um, my last tour. We had everyone was there from day one, uh, which and everyone was really cool. But it's always nice. It's always nice to get uh, a different take once in a while yeah. with some new people and sort of like, even even it's just like going out to lunch and hearing about their experiences. You know, because you can learn something from everybody, right? So I really believe that, and, and I try to um, absorb as much as I can from different people because everybody comes to wherever they're at right now is a culmination of all of their experiences, all of their beliefs and their notions and what they've been exposed to, which is not going to be the same as anyone else. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like that. I, I love that you get to have that variety in there and that you get to kind of, it's not just like, okay, we're going to be all together for the next nine months. 
we're going to hate each other come month three because you've got other people that are coming in. You know, you don't get the opportunity as much to get as sick of each other as you might, you know, spending so much time so close together. Sure. But you've probably, you got that down though, because you've been touring for years. I have been touring for years. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm just kind of used to it now. <laughs> but, but you know, but you have to learn, you have to learn things as you go, you know? So, you yeah. know, when I started, my very first tour was back in 99, uh, and I toured with the Big Apple Circus. And that was that was a whole different kind of experience than this is, actually. Um, because, well, part of it was because it was acrobats, first of all. And the other thing was that, like, it was all this, like, um, cultural diversity. Like, we had, uh, like... Uh, we had this one guy that would ride a bicycle and he was from Australia. Then we had another guy who was British that did all these tricks with all these birds. And then we had um, you know, all these acrobats. And it was interesting because it was like the first time I really saw like nationalistic behavior. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Russians and Ukrainians. You know, like the Ukrainians. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like this whole thing. But like their kids would play together because they were training together. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was kind of an interesting, it was just a different kind of scene, you know, and it was like, it was more family oriented because yet the Russians all had their kids and their kids were trained to be in the family business, which was being acrobat. So it became like a whole thing. It was really, you know, and I was only 22 at the time. So I, I was really absorbing a lot of that stuff. It was really cool to kind of be a part of something like that. And, and that's going to be something that you'll remember because it's such a unique experience as opposed to, I mean, every, every tour is unique in its own way. You, the yeah. people that you work with, the places you go, the people you meet, but that is such a different type of thing than the normal thing that you would do or might do again. That's always going to stand out as a, as a memorable experience. Yeah. I will, I, I will, I will say that hanging out with clowns will change your life. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's it's funny. I well, now it's International Clown Week because to me, you know, we we you know we talk about especially we just had the election and stuff yesterday, and we talk about how mm-hmm. big uh, you know we are in politics and go USA this and that. But we only give the president one day of celebration a year. But national well, International Clown Week is a week wow. for something that people most people don't even like and or are afraid of or you know very few people really like clowns. They just they might grin and bear it, but most people just hate or fear clowns. And I was talking about this on another one of my episodes, and I think it's because of that fake smile that's painted on. There's a there's an extreme mm. amount of, you know, get in the rickety van kid. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, people see it and they go, oh my God, that's the clown, right? But, but the thing that I learned about what a clown actually told me, who was the guy who was the ringmaster, mm-hmm. um, he said, a clown, people think the clown's job is supposed to have a personality, like be happy or sad or filthy or whatever. Mm. So that's completely wrong. And it's probably the reason why people don't like clowns is because a clown has a one job and that is to be completely insane. Really? And think about that. And people are, when people are walking down the street and someone's acting completely insane, how does it make you feel? Well, I live in Vegas, so that's pretty normal here. <laughs> That's true. But does it make you feel uncomfortable at all? Yeah, I, I might shy to the other side of the street a little bit. Sure, yeah. But, no, 
They're like in New York, you know, in New York, some of those women on the streets are screaming. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. all right, Right, right. Yeah, I could see that. And, you know, I mean, I think that a lot of the expectation depends on the setting. If you hire a clown for a kid's birthday party, yeah, you expect them to be constantly entertaining people, you know, juggling balloon animals, whatever you're going to do. But outside of that environment, it really depends on what, but that doesn't change the expectation of the audience because they expect that, you know, you're either going to be the sad clown the red skeleton clown, or you're going to be the jovial, let's juggle something, you know? Sure. And you know, anything else, like, you know, how do you shut that off when you're done? Right. After you don't react, right? Yeah. Lots of seltzer. <laughs> Lots of self-medicating, probably. <laughs> yeah, we don't really know what's in that bottle, but I, I have my suspicions. Yeah, exactly. But now you were touring, I think it, you were with Wicked, I think, when we met, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, well, when we met in Vegas, I was with Finding Neverland. Right, but I mean, when we connected. When we connected with Dean, yeah, that was uh, that was Wicked. That was right. like my final. That was like my final city, actually, of Wicked. Yeah, that that's I right. It in. was, yeah. But San you and Diego, I connected yeah. because you went on the podcast Dean Ogden's on the hit. Yep. And then he yep. connected us after that, and we got to know each other. And then you introduced me to a couple of absolutely wonderful people here who I, oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm hoping will come on the show at some point. But I, I have to tell you, in this community, with the people that I've met, you know, with you and Dean and Angela and Alex and different people here in Vegas, there mm-hmm. is such an amazing camaraderie among people yeah. that don't have to compete for jobs versus whether it's film scoring or, or you know, getting like a, a corporate composing gig or being a, a stage musician where it's very, very cutthroat and competitive. I like this yeah. world a little bit better. Well, you know, actually, one of my, my best friends when I was in college, you know, because I was, I, was, I was raised sort of in a little bit of that, like, competition thing and, you know, I mean, healthy competition, but... You know, you got to be competitive with people and this and that and the other thing. And then, like, one of my best friends, like, this said, he said, I see that you're... My friend Jim Patton, actually, who's an incredible piano player. He said, I see that you're kind of competitive with people. And, you know, it might be better to, like, be friends with them as opposed to being competitive with them. Because if you're going to help somebody out, you're going to help out someone that is, like, a competition person or someone that's actually your friend. Right. And I was like, yeah. And then, because we're all trying to do the same thing. We're just trying to make a living, right? It's, it's, as you get, I think you guys are, you get older too, you just realize the perspective. It's like, you know, we're all killing ourselves. Like, especially when I was in college, we were all killing ourselves for these $50 jazz game, mm-hmm. you know? Right. <laughs> and it yeah. was like, at the same time, it was like, you know, you just, you take a step back and you look at the big picture and you say, well, why was I really, why was I being like that? You know? And then, as you get older, you, you know, you realize that like all these people that are quote unquote competing with, I can learn from all these people. I can learn something from everybody, you know, and, and, and a lot of it's what to do. A lot of it's what's not to do. Right. Yeah. That's just as important. And you can learn that from the same person or different people, but that's just it. It's learning something. It's building together, I think, just to create a better thing. But I think the fear is, 
you know, there's so many players, but there's only so many gigs. So I better, you know, not tell somebody about this audition or I better kind of, you know, keep this one to myself and not tell anyone I'm going because I don't want them to show up and be my competition. True. I think there's plenty of work for everybody. There is. And it's, it's a lot of it, you know, if you believe in karma, I think, you know, a lot of times you, you go out and you help somebody, you know, if you do it for the right reasons, even if that person doesn't be, be someone that helps you back, if you go out and you do enough good things for people, you'll get a good reputation for being a good person. And I, and I think in the end, that'll help you out. I mean, I can give you uh, a prime example of something in my career that I think kind of helps me was uh, we were having a, um, back in 2006, I think, I was, uh, there was all these uh, auditions for tours. And um, so there was like an email between like me, me and like two other drummers or three other drummers for this uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels tour. Mm-hmm. And I think literally two days before the audition was even supposed to happen, you know, they give you the music for like two weeks and you, know, you work on it and all this kind of stuff. And uh, they canceled the audition because the person that the conductor had previously worked with became available. Oh. Ouch. So, right. So, like, I mean, it was disappointing, but, like, rather than be, like, upset about it, I kind of looked at it as, like, well, you know what? I'm on the list. I, yeah. I'm almost, I'm almost there. Right. And, you know, and I, and I, what I did was, um, I wrote the contractor, like, this actually saying how appreciative I was that he didn't get the opportunity to even be on the list. And then, you know, if, if anything in the future shall ever arise, mm-hmm. you know, I would love to reconnect in the future. Yeah. And, and so like, we kind of left on really good terms. So fast forward to like another three, maybe four or five months later, um, I had an I I got an like an off Broadway show, and we were getting comp tickets. So I just emailed the contract. I said, you know, I never got to play for you uh, for that audition, but I, I have I'm doing the show in town right now, and we're going to be over for another two weeks. If you want a comp ticket, you know, please let me know, and I I love to you know help to hang out to meet you. Right. Yeah. And so. He actually responded, "Hey, can I come Saturday?" Nice. And I said, "Sure." Yeah. And so, and so, what happened was, he came Saturday. He gives me a call, like five minutes after the show's over. He says, "Hey, come down. I want come down. Come outside. I want to talk to you." Mm-hmm. So I go out there and I and I talk to him. He goes, "Hey, I don't know if you knew this, but the the guy that um that's doing uh, the scoundrels tour is going to be leaving the scoundrels tour. Would you still be interested in doing it?" And I said, absolutely, I would, because this is closing, you know, in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I don't know what you need me, but if it's after those two or three weeks after this closes, I would, I'd love to go out on the tour. And lo and behold, you know, he kept his word. My show closed. He called, you know, he calls me up and said, hey, uh, you start January 7th if you're interested. So, and I said, great. And then, boom, that, there it is. Right. You know, but had I, oh. had I, this, if had I reacted reactionary to that initial, like everything getting canceled, you know, maybe that might have affected me in a very negative way. And instead, I think 
since we left things in a positive way, and I was so close. And, you know, my, my regret wasn't that the audition was canceled or the gig. It was more about, oh, what a shame I never got to play for him. Right, you know? right. Yeah, he didn't at least get to see you do something so that he could keep you in mind for the future or maybe one of his friends is putting a show together and mentions your name. Yeah, but that's exactly. it. It's, it's, it's not even just about building relationships. It's just about treating people decently and, and you know caring about the fact that they even thought of you for it in the first place and giving something a little bit back that you know maybe could build that relationship in a different way. But I would imagine being on the road so much because you're going to be gone on this tour for a year. And then, you know, how do you find ways to maintain or even create new relationships with potential business partners? Because you're not just a drummer that goes out on tour. You also are a composer and you work on films. And, and, uh, you know, I remember the video series that you had worked on um, trying to get Angie's Locks. Yeah, the Invaders web series. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how, how do you find ways to meet and, and build relationships when you're gone all the time? It's hard. It, uh, it actually doesn't happen that much, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but, but what's good is the people that I have worked with, they keep using me. So, you know, I, I mean, it keeps me busy and it keeps me sort of from falling into the trap of my whole life is about the show. Right. You know, like I... I, I I did like an actually what's great is um from one of the producers of Angie Logs, her name's uh, Marty Davis, she really likes me and she you know, she'll throw my name into certain hats and I don't always get the uh, the gig or whatever, but it's always nice to be thought of, you know, and, and so she got me this um this other film called uh, More Time that I did over the summer. And it was really cool. It was working with a whole different set of people and it was kind of it was fun because uh, instead of it being um, maybe possibly driven, it was more like they wanted like a Thomas Newman sort of score. Uh, yeah, so like it was a lot of very it was very minimalist and and sort of you know getting my omnis here, you know trying to find the right uh, omnis <laughs> patches. Which which <laughs> and, you know you can get lost in that land like the Sahara Desert. Oh man, it was, yeah. You know, just trying to find, like, those glassy patches with, like, a piano sound and, like, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I wish, it, I mean, the film was very, like, sort of emotional and, and, like, you didn't want to get in the way of the dialogue. But it would have been cool to, like, add one of, like, Thomas Newman weird, weird sure. like, trans, transparent percussion things to it. <laughs> right, right. So do you, uh, do you take, a, like, a mobile recording studio with you so that you can work while you're on the road? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, um, I have basically I have uh, a lot. Some of the Spectrosonic stuff on my computer, and mm-hmm. and I have a, a backup hard drive. And I'm this year, and I have like, this little M Audio thing. Um, and it's, I mean, it would be nice if I had like a mixing board and all that kind of stuff too. Sure, but, yeah. Uh, you know, since it's, it's it's very mom and pop, and it's it's right now it's just more to keep me um, motivated and 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 sort of write a little bit every day just because it's fun and I love doing it. Right. And it also keeps my mind fresh. Yes. You know, I'm, I, you know, you, you walk around the town, tune gets in your head, you go, Oh, I gotta, I gotta go home and put this down now. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> and you're like, well, I'll be home in June. So I hope I can remember it long enough to. <laughs> right. right. You, 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 I'm, I'm the opposite. I forget in like 10 minutes. I'm like, what did I do? Oh, right. Yeah. You know, 
But, you know, I'm, I'm always open to meeting people, you know, people want to write me on Facebook, you know, or whatever. I mean, for a while I was trying the Twitter thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I gave and, up on but, that. But it's just, I don't know, it's, it's social media is hard. Um, yeah. Because everybody sort of has their own, a lot of people have their own agenda anyway, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't know, I mean, I'm always open to meeting people. Either way, you know, I'd say one of the one of the the only kind of drag about doing what I do is that a lot of times I'll meet other people in the business, and they sort of typecast me as, "Oh, well, you're a drummer." You right? Play. Yeah. The associate because that's how they meet you, or that's how they see you, so that sticks in their head as your association. Right, and it's like I'm doing all this other stuff, and like people don't even like. You know, give me the, the time of day. I was like, hey, you want to come over and watch this movie that I'm scoring and check it out? You know? Right, yeah. I mean, it's maybe a second opinion or something, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, it's like, well, you're a drummer. Like, okay, it is, it is what it is. Well, I was thinking that it was kind of an advantage maybe that you do go to a lot of different major cities in a year because you have the opportunity to actually have face-to-face meetings with people, which, yeah. I mean, you know, you can, you can meet people over the internet. That's great. Uh, or, or the phone or whatever, but even Skype. But having like a one-on-one, we're in the same right. room kind of meeting can really solidify a lot of relationships. So I was sure. thinking that that was kind of a cool thing for you, but maybe just because of why you're there, it works against you just as easily. It, well, it does. I mean, it's, I, I mean, part of it too is like knowing who to meet and knowing yeah. where to meet someone online in the first place before you even get to a city. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what's nice about that's what's nice about having local musicians, and that's actually what's great about doing theaters. You do get to meet people that are not just musicians. Right. You get to meet directors and choreographers and all this kind of stuff. But if they just see you as this is what you do, it's almost hard to get out of that pigeonhole. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, I was lucky that uh, the reason why I even got into film scoring to begin with was because a singer songwriter that I played with. Her name's uh, Cassandra Kabinsky. This guy, Mark, went up to her and said, Hey, this Cassie, would you like to do my film? She was, he's like, I don't really do that, but my drummer does. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, so, you know, and that's, and that's what started, like, the relationship between me and Mark, and that's what got me in the Avengers Book series. And, you know, so, I mean, you know, I, I, just, you know, I just need a few more allies like that, and I'll be fine. Yeah, because you know, I'm not because I'm not trying to make a whole career out of the film scoring thing. I'm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I this the probably drumming thing is my career, right. but it's nice to it's nice to switch it up and you know especially as a, after a tour is over, you know, if if you're not playing a lot of gigs in town and someone says hey you know you're working on three or four films that'll pay the rent, right. That's what it's about. Well, plus it just it just it keeps you fresh. It gives you something different to do besides playing the same songs every night for a year. Um, you know, a lot of the performers that I know here, they love their jobs. They love what they do, and they love the music that they perform. But they, you also have to do other things to keep it fresh and just to keep yourself right. from going nuts because it'll get boring if you're not breaking it up with other things. Absolutely, yeah, and you know because of. Of of uh, the theater union rules and stuff, you know, you can't really get in the theater and practice. Mm-hmm. So, so this is sort of a creative way of getting to those places in my head. 
but you could have a four-hour drum tuning session, couldn't you? Oh my god, that would <laughs> sounds like sounds like my favorite thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not rehearsing. I'm just tuning. Yeah, I'm just tuning the drums just for boom. Oh, that's a little that's a little sharp. Yeah, just trying to get this <laughs> ring out that you know takes takes some yeah. effort. Well, I, I wanted to ask you because I've always wondered this. I've never done tours like you do, uh, but what I want to understand the reality of how it works because you're gone for so long. How do you maintain your home? Because you just bought a house, which congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, but how do you maintain like the things that go on at home, paying your bills, just managing the day-to-day stuff when you're not at home at your desk and your accounting, you know, everything's right there for you. Sure. Well, I mean, thank goodness a lot of stuff is direct deposit now. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I like what was the joke? There, there's an app for that, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, like the like the mortgage, you know, I just go to the, the the app and I just pay it off every month and and do that. Um, I I have a, a friend that comes and checks at my place uh, about once a week. You know, you just you know just be like, hey, there's some mail here for you. And actually, we're in Philadelphia right now, so I'm actually going to go home on Monday. Oh, okay. Kind of just to kind of see, you know, see how it looks. I haven't been there in three months. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, if if I wasn't doing this, I I would. I look at it as if I wasn't doing this, I wouldn't be able to have that. Place. That's very true, and, and I'm sure you tailor your life to make it easy to be on the road. Like you probably don't have a fish tank. No, I. I you know, what? someone did buy me a cactus as a home homecoming a uh, home housewarming present. A cat, oh, a cat, or a cactus? Cactus. Oh, okay. Well, that you, that can live for a long time without water. But I think your your friend, if they go once a week, you're probably fine. If it was a cat, that would be a different story. Oh, that would be yeah, my everything. My couch would be all scratched up. It'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember my room being full of stuffing when I left. Yeah, what happened? Where did all this where did all this stuff come from? Right. <laughs> Do you get a chance to really because you you once you're set up. And other than like the sound check and stuff to make sure that all the equipment's working, do you really mm-hmm. get to get out and enjoy the towns that you're in and see some sights, or are you kind of really locked down? Oh yeah, no. There's the nice thing about touring like this is that you know, like we're here, like we're here in Philadelphia for two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to, you can go after that Tuesday, unless I have rehearsal, you know, like a put-in rehearsal or something. I only have my whole existence is getting to that show seven thirty to ten. I can do whatever I want when I'm not there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no no like guideline. You know, the only thing is you have to be careful because you don't want to do too much because your whole point also because the thing is your whole existence is to really do that show every day. That's right. why you're in town. Mm-hmm. So like if <laughs> You know, like for example, like there was um, on Wicked, we were we were in Hawaii, and you know we're we're there. And we're like, oh, let's fly. <laughs> and by the time we got to the show, we were so tired. Right. You know, like oh, you know, like like what did I, what did we do that for? That was a bad idea. I mean, granted, you're in Hawaii. How many times are going to go there? And you know, yeah. you're seeing some amazing views, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it was like, whoa. I mean, it wasn't like I played a bad show or anything, but it wasn't necessarily probably the most emphatic show I've played. 
Sure. Well, you know, you get the adrenaline before the show starts and you, you know, you're going to get through the performance, but yeah, that's that I've never done a flight that long. And I mean, even just flying, you know, when, uh, when I went to Montreal, the flight was, I think four and a half hours and even, mm-hmm. you know, two hours in, I was starting to get kind of antsy because we drummers, we can't sit still anyway. And right. yeah, I, I can't, it, it's a shame because there's only really a couple places on my bucket list to visit. And Hawaii is one of them. I've never been there. And I'm just wondering how I'm going to get through the flight part, just because I can't sit still that long. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I, I flew last year from New York to Japan. Oh. A lot of in-flight movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if they let me bring a V-Club kit or something on that I could play while I was waiting for, you know, to <laughs> land. I, but I don't think they're going to let that happen. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it gets kind of tight up there, too. You know, because yeah. you're sitting with you know three people, and you just gotta like see the uh, see the big picture and like kind of look at the. All right, well, I'm gonna do this, and then when we land, I'll be in another a whole different culture, mm-hmm. and it'll be amazing. You know, it's, or, or even Hawaii. Even Hawaii. Hawaii is it's sort of an interesting place because you feel like you're in the states, but you don't feel like you're in the states. Mm-hmm. You're halfway there, and there's a lot of Asian culture there because you know it's so close to the Polynesian thing and. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, so it's, it's it's an interesting place. And also it doesn't look like, it looks, you know, like a rainforest, a lot of it. So mm. it just uh, has a different vibe to it completely. Yeah. You know, I think, though, you, you nailed it. And you've said it a couple times on the show. It's really a lot about your attitude, how you choose to look at things. You know, you can you can get up and you can look out the window and go, oh, God, it's raining and I got to go to drive. I have to go to the store, you know, and you can mm-hmm. get bummed out and you can let it eat up your day. Or you can go, oh, cool, it's raining. It hasn't rained in like a month. This is so nice to see. And, it, you know, the grass <laughs> is going to get and you can and then you can make that day a pleasant experience. But I think these days it's almost like people want to find a reason to bitch and complain. And yeah. so any chance they get to do that, they do. And I love that there are people like you that have that attitude of, you know what, it doesn't really matter because my day is going to be how I choose my day and not controlled by anything else. I mean, sure, if somebody just came up to you and punched you in the face out of the blue, you might not be happy about that. Well, I think it's partly because, I think for me it's also because I've been on both sides of, you know, like, you know, people like say, oh, live in the dream, but I kind of am. I mean, even, even if I say it facetiously sometimes, Mm-hmm. You know, I think about where I was. Sometimes I, that, that was the whole thing. When I bought the house, the thing that was so interesting was that I thought about, okay, 20 years ago, I would never a million years have thought that this, this was even a possibility. Right. You know, buying an apartment in Manhattan, I'm a yeah. single drummer. That's, that's insane. Mm-hmm. There's no way I'm going to do that. I'm playing $50 chance gigs. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. And unless your girlfriend <laughs> is supporting you, you got nothing. Exactly. You know, that's the whole joke, right? It was drum without a girlfriend. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, so, you know, but here I am, you know, turning, just turned 40, and I'm like, okay, so now I have this apartment. Okay. Never thought this would happen. You know, and, and so, you know, I guess for me, I, I, I try to be optimistic because, you know, when I was, before I got that circus gig, you know, I was, I was uh, installing in hardwood floors. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, that, that was like, that was like rough work. Yeah. You know, that was hard. Um, you know, and 
I get to play drums every day. How cool is that? Exactly. But there's, but, you know, I think part of the problem with the entertainment industry is that because it's promoted with so much glitz and glamour and because it looks good while you're doing it, like while you're on stage, oh my God, that's mm-hmm. so cool. I get to play for a couple hours. But then you've got 22 hours before you're going to play again and mm-hmm. you're not home. You're, you're on the road. So you, you know, maybe you don't know where things are. You can't really take advantage of it. Or maybe you have some friends that are there, but you're trying to sync up schedules. Like it's not as glamorous except for within those two hours. And I think the perception of it is, oh man, it must be great to be on the road all the time. You've got to deal with doing laundry, finding places to do laundry. Yeah. And even down to the basic stuff, you can't just, it's just, you know, your machines aren't there. You're not home playing a gig right. on Broadway. So, you know, I, what would you say to somebody who, who really thinks that this is just the life? <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, the, the show... The show looks glamorous, but even if you if you go backstage, it's always glamorous. It's you know, I mean, half the time you know, like we're just drinking coffee, like standing in a circle talking to each other, right. you know, like at an intermission. It's, you know, we. But but the thing is, for me, is I've never been interested. I was never interested in the whole being a star, mm-hmm. being being famous. I, I don't care about that. I, I care about playing music. That's what I want to do. That's, that's, for me, that trumps everything else for me. Yeah. Being on the road, you give up on a lot of things, too. You give up, you know, having a family or being with somebody, right. having a, you know, a special significant other in your life, you know. It's, it's hard to do that for, with, when you're on the road all the time. Sure. So, you know, uh, so I, I, I put those names on hold, or if ever. Well, <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, it's hard to do that when you're not on the road, too. Oh, I I know. I, I I was telling people like, what's what's New York like? Well, dating in New York is a good way to feel terrible about yourself. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, or just dating. You know, just dating in general. Like, oh, I, I didn't realize that was a problem that I was doing. I realized I, I, realized I had so many problems. Um, right. Yeah, thank you for but, bringing my horrible life to my attention. I appreciate it. Oh, wow, thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, but but so like music, music is like the one thing that. You know, it, I mean, even when it kicks your ass, it's still it's still music. Yeah. It's the playing part is 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 what makes it all worth it. Right. Because you give up everything up. The, the yeah, but it's not if, if if you're in it to be glamorous or a star, you're kind of in the wrong position. It's like people are yeah. going to music because they're going to make a lot of money. <laughs> if that's if that is if that's your intention to make a lot of money, just just go do stock market. Go be a stockbroker. <laughs> Yeah. You know, do anything else. I mean, the thing is, yes, I bought an apartment in Manhattan, but it took me a really, really, really long time to save up to get enough so I can make that down payment. And, and, you know, and then, and then that, you know, you co-op in New York and they're like raking through your finances. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it is what it is. And, and, you know, I'm very fortunate to be where I was. I mean, when I when I had gotten off Wicked, I was doing wedding band stuff, mm-hmm. and um, I had all this money in the bank, but I I wasn't necessarily working a ton because you know I've been away for so long. Yeah. So I was, I was built rebuilding a lot of those connections, and I remember I was like, hmm. I was on a tour, and you know I had I like, take kind of a, a down year, and I went to the bank and I said, 
I would love to apply for a mortgage. And they were like, you didn't make enough money. Right. You know, so, yeah. so what happened was when I did this Neverland tour, I, it was, it was a tour that lasted about a year and a half. And then after, after I made a certain mo- amount of money, I could go to the bank and say, Hey, can I get a mortgage? I haven't job for another year. Right. <laughs> and they were like, they were like, sure. You know, and that's mm-hmm. how I got approved. Um, you know, but it, it, it was not an easy road. Uh, right. uh, to, say, to say the least. You know, you have to put up with a lot of stuff too. Um, sure. You know, the road the road is kind of, you just have to be able to adapt. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to, um, a lot of times the road, because you're, you're together for so long with these people, you know, you have to, it's more about navigating personalities. And, you know, I, I'm finding, it's, 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 it's a different world even now from when I was, you know, I used to be the kid in the band, right. you know, and now I'm like, now I'm like on this tour, I'm like the old guy, <laughs> you know, it's like a whole, like, yeah. The, yeah. you know, and it's just a different thing. I mean, you know, people that are like in their twenties now, they don't exactly, it seems like they're not exactly like how I was when I was in my twenties. Yeah. Things have you definitely know? changed with the, I, I, I don't want to sound like I, you know, I, I'm against the way that people are. It's just that the world has evolved into a different uh, mentality, different mindset. I, I was telling somebody today, uh, the one thing I think that we're lacking is an understanding of patience. You know, when we were kids, right. if you wanted something and, and it was in England, you had to wait six to eight weeks to get it. And now if right. people, if it doesn't download fast enough, people start losing their mind a little bit. Right, or or you know, Amazon finds it is delivered in two hours. Like, right? What do you mean? You know, like I mean, and it's funny for me because I, I I'm like, I don't mind waiting in line. It's what's the big deal? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that's. I, I I'll tell you a story. I went one day uh, in the middle of the afternoon when I was working uh, years ago for a mortgage company. And I mm-hmm. had an hour for lunch, and I thought, you know, I really, I just want a cup of coffee. I'm going to treat myself to a Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And I go in, there's nobody in the whole place except for one guy who's ordering. And I thought, okay. oh, this is perfect. I don't even have to really wait in line. Well, he was ordering 27 coffees. <laughs> wow. How was he going to carry them all out? Well, that was the part that really got me is no one went with him to help him take these back. It was literally him by himself. So they were putting them in boxes so that he could put them, you know, on the back seat and stuff. But I I just, he turned to me in the middle of his order and he just looked at me and he mouthed, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm like, it's, and I told him, I said, it's not your fault. You came in. This is what you're going to do. If I'm so impatient or if I, you know, if I want my coffee bad enough, I'll wait. And if I'm impatient mm-hmm. or if it's not important enough to me, I'll leave. That's totally on yeah. me. But how many people would walk in and just go, oh, my God, of all the people I have to get through and just get really upset and then have it ruin their day. And then everyone they sure. interact with after that gets some of that fire and then takes sure. that to the next. I mean, the, 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 what do they call that? The, like the butterfly effect of that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just different because it's, it's it's sort of instant gratification, you know. And I, and partly as as my thing is, I'm trying to figure out how I interact with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not putting anybody. I'm not trying to put anybody on, on the bus or anything. I just mean like, you know, I mean, our last two tours, you know, I, there's been people that were like in their mid twenties, and there's been people 
my last tour, there were a couple of us that were in our 40s, and there was one guy who was, like, I think he might have been 60 now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a good, a good range of generations. Right. You know, um, and it's just interesting, you know, interesting to, to have the people that were in their late 50s, early 60s, because they'll say, oh, the way it was back when we toured, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, yeah. So it's all relative. It's all relative. It's just, it's just, this was like the first, the last like year or so was the first time I realized like, wow, the world's kind of changing. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I, I'm trying to figure out how I fit into the world, you know. Yeah, it, it's tough because it's it's not just the kids too. I think it's it's everyone now. I think the difference is is that the kids now are brought up in a world of that kind of impatience and immediate gratification. And if you don't have that, something's really going to offset you. Uh, yeah. But you know, we we've watched that evolve over the years. Whereas the kids today are that's the world. That's the world they're being shown. As right. Their yeah, I mean, they're being taught that. They're being right. taught that. It's not their fault. No, not at all. Not, no, don't blame anybody. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. This, these are things that I'm. As I as I get older, I'm starting to notice, even in the touring community, because because the thing is that the the Broadway musicians, when I first started, the average age of people touring were like in their 30s. You know, there was maybe like one person that was in their 20s that was touring, and now because a lot of those other gigs have dried up. There's a lot more people in their mid mid to late twenties that are touring now, mm-hmm. and and, and uh, you know it's just the, it's the last like great gig. It's a great right. gig to yeah. do what we do. You know we're lucky to very fortunate to have this gig. Well, I would imagine know? though that they're going to want a certain amount of seasoning before they're willing to commit to you know a twelve month tour with somebody. You know that's I would imagine that plays a part in why you would have to be at least a little bit older to get a gig like that. Yeah, well, I think also there was also more gigs. So if you were like a rhythm section player, you know, you you would play in bands. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. You would, you, so you had that whole experience of like, okay, well, this was me laying it down on playing some you know, strumming guitar stuff, mm-hmm. or or whatever it is. You know, where now a lot of those gigs don't even necessarily exist. Right. So where do you go? You go to the theater world because that's where the gigs actually are. You know, and it's 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 just like anything else. Again, this is just all word of mouth, just like the film stuff, just like everything else. And theater is one of the few places that you can almost always count on a fair amount of live musicians. I mean, you might supplement some parts with programming, but sure. you know, it, there aren't that many places to play anymore, even as as bands. It's it's a lot of dance and program music and DJs and. It's yeah. the, it, it's almost becoming a lost art being a live musician unless you have a gig like you have. Yeah, well, that's that's I mean that's why I'm lucky to be you know trying to do it as long as I can. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it, it's 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 an interesting thing. I mean, even you know it, every time I look, it seems like every time I go on Facebook, another club in Europe is closing, another another place that has been around for like 30 years is going away. It's like, mm-hmm. Or a recording studio. Recording studio, clubs, you know, like uh, this past year we lost the garage and that's where I, that's where I played all my first gigs. Oh, you know, wow. Like, um, yeah, it's like, oh, all the memories and yeah. now there's like, there's like a French bistro now there. <laughs> <I'm> like, uh. <laughs> well, I hope it's tasty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
yeah, that actually kind of leads me into something else I wanted to ask you about. Um, you know, I've, sure. I've done a lot of uh, audio engineering at plays and, and different performances here in Vegas. But, you know, for me, it's even in the, you know, if it's a three-week run or a four-week run, they, you, they become a little family. And then, you know, you see these people every day and you build these relationships and, and you really feel together. And then it's just done. Yeah. You've been through this a bunch of times now. Is there, what, what is, do you still get nostalgic for the show or for that family? Or are you able to kind of disconnect when it's over? Uh I'm probably more disconnected now than I used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's, I feel like, you know what it is? On on uh, the first couple tours that I did, it was sort of like, you know, I got very close to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And then once the show was kind of done, you know, I was pretty young and impressionable. Mm-hmm. So I was like in my early 20s when it started. So, it would be like, you know, I, I I would really attach myself to these people, and then eventually when the show would be over, it was over. Right. And then, like, I wouldn't hear from anybody anymore, and I was, like, really crushed. Mm-hmm. And now, like, now that I'm older, I, I get it more. Because, like, you know, now it's like, you know, you know uh, I got the mortgage now. I got other things going on in my life that I'm like, Concerned with, yeah. And so, like, but the, the way I look at it is, it's like anything else, right? Like, you go to high school, maybe you keep in touch with like three great three people that you're pretty close with, right? Yeah, but but you all had the intention, right? When when the you know you're signing each other's yearbooks or you know the day of graduation or that last sure. day of school, it's oh we're going to keep in touch and we're not going to be like everybody else. And yeah, that'll last about two weeks, and then you, exactly. you're starting your life, you know. Then you start. Then you go to college, and you're like, "Oh, how is Jim's doing? I don't. I haven't talked to him in a long time." <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Whatever. Think... You know. It is. And every tour is like that too. I feel like I have about I have like friends from tours, but most of them, I, I probably have about one or two people from each tour that I'm I still fairly keep in contact with, even though we both kind of, you know, because when you're touring too, it's like its own separate bubble. Right. It, it's, it's so it is hard. It is hard, but. Um, no, I can think about ten. I have about ten people from all the tours that I've done with that I, I keep in contact with, and mm-hmm. you know, pretty pretty regularly. Yeah, and uh, you know, especially with texting, now it's a lot easier. Yeah, it, say, hey, how's it, it going? The technology certainly allows us a lot more connection. Even though it seems like uh, the more ability we have to connect, the less people seem to be able to do it. Right. Well, because because what is the connection based on? And and I, I I think the the problem I have with a lot of the, the connections I have, especially in the entertainment business, is it tends to be on the superficial side. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's like like when I say wicked, I mean I really like. I mean I like I, I pretty much get along with along with everybody. Mm-hmm. But there aren't too many people I'm going to go out and talk about you know philosophy with or or right. you know. You know, see, it's, it's just very like, hi, how are you kind of thing. That oh, cordial, great. yeah. Yeah, it's like cordialness and, and like, you know, that person's great and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, everything's like over, like, oh, I love that guy. Mm-hmm. Do you love him? Like, <laughs> yeah. like love, 
look for me is like, hey, man, I can't like in the hospital with appendectomy. Would you go visit him? You know, like that's like, whoa. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, <laughs> you I, know? I, I think it's one of those words that people have learned to throw around very loosely. There, there's a few of those in our vocabulary these days. Oh, where, yeah. You know, it's like we just met. We're so in love. Um, well, you just met. So don't think you're so in love. You might really think you're going somewhere or maybe you have some potential. But love sure. is a pretty strong word for somebody that you just had McDonald's with. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, not even, I mean, you know, just just seeing them around the hallway, you know. I love that guy. He's <laughs> yeah. great. Right. You know? Yeah. You know, that's the, way it is. that's the way it is in the theater. It's like, oh, that guy's amazing. He's like, he's so nice. Like, yeah, you know. It's, it's kind of, I mean, not to bring up a person that's bad, but, I mean, that's one thing with Louis C.K. was like a genius at. He sounded like the words that people would kind of like, uh, like, like hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hilarious, yeah. really? That thing was hilarious? Did it make you lose your mind by being <laughs> so funny? Yeah. That was like one of his things that he talked about. It was like, you know, or awesome. Awesome is another one. People say awesome all the time. It's like mm-hmm. awesome is like supposed to be like this crazy, this incredible thing that happens and awe-inspiring, you know. Right, you yeah. Know? It's like, is a hamburger is a hamburger really awesome? <laughs> yeah, it, well, you'd be hard pressed to find one that's really awesome. Kind of awesome, maybe. Yeah, world you know. changing, not so much. Yeah, but I, but I think part of it is people just trying to be positive, and it, I I dig that. I I, yeah. I dig that, but I just mean like sometimes with that, you know, things kind of lose their meaning. So mm-hmm. so like you know. Especially in the theater, it's like, you know, you have a lot of connections and you meet a lot of people, but how many of those people would really be... I think the way I looked at it, I started looking at it as, well, how many of these people are going to be really around when I need them? Yeah. How many are real friends versus situational well, how much friends? Are, friends versus acquaintance. Right. You yeah. Know, I have, I've made a lot of acquaintances. And I, you know, I, 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 like I said, I get along with most people. And, mm-hmm. you know, unless yeah. someone really, really is a jerk, then it's, yeah, we're going to be cool. But like, how many of them are people that I'm like, we're having a really hard day or something? Who am I going to talk to? Because that's right. one of the other things too that's hard about working in, in the theater environment is like, if you're having a bad day, you still kind of have to be on. That's true. A little bit, mm-hmm. like you know, like I mean, you know, when I was like going through like the mortgage stuff, I mean, I had some really great friends on the, the Neverland tour, but like when I was going through some more that, some of that that. Uh, mortgage stuff, you know, last year or whatever, it was very stressful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you got to go on like, stage and be excited and play your part and, you know, get everybody else in the band up. And yeah, that's not easy. Yeah. And like, you know, I'd be like, how are you? I'm so good. You know, I was like, are you? <laughs> are you so good? Right. Well, yeah. What are you hiding? And it's, and it's sort of, it's sort of like you know. Sometimes I'll, if I'm having a really bad day, I say, "Do you want to know who I am, or do you want to know what you think, what you want to hear?" <laughs> yeah. Well, but see, that's the thing: is are you talking to somebody who genuinely cares, or are you talking to somebody who says that because that's what you say when you see somebody for the first time that day? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 a, it's a so, and and and, and that's the reasons why I sort of feel disconnected. I think sometimes it's, it's mm-hmm. not that I have anything against anybody or whatever. It's just more of a question of, you know, as I get older, but actually my college roommate kind of said it best. The people that you should gravitate to, towards are the people that show up. 
Yes. You know, yeah, like if you're good. having a thing, mm-hmm. who's going to show up when you need them? Those yeah. are the people that you should really gravitate toward. You know, and I, I you know, I, like I said, I have a few people in my life that I've met on tours that would show up, mm-hmm. but the majority of them might say, probably think they would, and they might say they will, yeah. but they probably won't. Right. And they'll say it with the best of intentions, though. They'll say it with the, yeah, man, if you ever need anything, you just let me know. But that's Absolutely. in that moment. Yeah, and that's in that moment. And that's also like while we're on tour, mm-hmm. you know, where we're all kind of in a little bubble together. Right. But, you know, then you go out in the world and you're in a whole different other bubble. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get back to your real life bubble, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I guess that was a really long-winded answer to answer your question. <laughs> but it was a quality answer, so I'm good with that. You know, like we were talking about before the show, waiting in line. I don't mind waiting in line if it's for, you know, if it's for something that's worth waiting for. Right. I'm sure the impatient people have already shut this podcast off. <laughs> yeah, they, they've already unsubscribed, and it's, you know. Thanks, Greg. 27 coffees. God. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for coming God. on the show, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but what about the show itself do you do you get nostalgic ever for for the because i don't play as many shows as you do so when i have sure. one, like it, it's like wow you know i really miss this moment that i got to play on stage every night or whatever but do you because you guys don't film them most of the time i would imagine they're just they're just memories in your archive sure yeah and and you know there's there's songs and, and tours um it's actually usually not about the music that makes you nostalgic. It's sort of, believe it or not, after talking about all that, it's the people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, like I'm here in Philadelphia right now, and like last year I had my birthday here in town. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm like walking around and like remembering like, I remember when so-and-so said this or so-and-so did that. You know, it's not even this, it's not so much of the music, but it, uh, those moments. Another, yeah, another thing is, is, you know what it is? It's, um, Tim Kazarinsky, who was one of our wizards. You know what Tim Kazarinsky is? I don't. He, he was a sweet chuck on Police Academy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he was like an SNL with like Eddie Murphy and those guys. Mm-hmm. And he gave me, he gave me some really cool, it's probably one of the coolest things that I try to live by. And, and I think this will answer your uh, nostalgic question. And it's sort of, people don't remember, what he said was, people don't remember what you say or even how you say it, but they will remember how you make them feel. Yeah, that's very true. Very and you, true. Think about, you think about any like, great piece of music or, or art or, or, or friends or enemies, you know, they all make you feel something. Right. You know, like, you know, like, like. You know, Beethoven's nine, it makes you feel inspired. It makes you want to, like, you know, run a marathon or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the, the whole tuning thing in the beginning. I was right, to right. Oh. Whereas the seventh makes you just want to walk off a bridge because that, that <laughs> second movement is so depressing. That's true. No, that's that's a, that's very well said because I, I think that's right. It's it and you you associate maybe the person that said it or the people that were with you at the time, but it's really about that feeling and about that. The, the memory of the feeling, like I, I think why we, we get so, uh, you know, memories come up when the weather's a certain way or when we hear a certain sure. song, it's not about the song, it's about the memory that that song triggers. Right, so it's, 
So, and actually, if you if you trace it further, it's not even necessarily uh, like when I think of the shows. It's not even necessarily the music that I I get nostalgic for. It's the people that I played with mm-hmm. that I get nostalgic for. Like, oh, remember when? Like, I mean, there's like like okay. So one of my friends was this guy. <laughs> It was, on, it was on the scandal story. I'm not going to mention names, but it was one of the funniest. One of the funniest. Well, I knew it wasn't the drummer. No, no. <laughs> so I was like, I, 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 there was. We were in St. Louis for uh, Easter on this tour, and we only had one show. We had like a matinee, and we were done. And so I went up to this guy. I said, "Hey, man, it's Easter Sunday. Should we like get something to eat after the show or something?" And he goes. Oh, it's Easter? I'm going to go resurrect my career. <laughs> like, oh. you know, there's like all these like stuff like that is like what you kind of remember. Like, yeah. you know, I remember when I did Fosse, um, there's this story of, um, we were, you know, Fosse, the, the choreographer? Yeah. So they were doing the, the number from Sweet Charity, the Rich Man's Fruit, where they all have like these cigarettes. And uh, so they have to put the cigarettes like in their pocket. And so this one guy was dancing and he put the cigarette in his pocket and the lining was that's supposed to put the extinguisher out, <laughs> extinguish the cigarette. Uh, like it was like, like sort of became like not there anymore. <laughs> right. So, oh no. So, so he was like doing this dance, right? And all of a sudden like smoke starts coming from his jacket. And so, like, the way the story goes is Philip, Philip is, my friend Philip was dancing next to this other guy. And they're both dancing. And he's next to him. And he's like, hey, Corey, Corey. And, like, Corey's like, what, man? He's like, you're on fire. And he's like, thank you. <laughs> thank you, child. And, said that. and he goes, no. You're on fire, and then like, he grabbed him and like pushed pushed him towards the stage manager, and the stage manager was waiting there with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> <laughs> it was like you know, but it's like you know when you're it almost shows you like when you're in that moment, you're in that zen moment of like I'm doing my thing. Right, you could yeah. be on fire and not even know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I even you know when I'm working sometimes, I'll just gaze at because I I work with my window directly in front of me, but I always have the blinds up. So mm-hmm. I'll notice at some point that there's light coming from the side of the blinds. And I went, I missed the sunrise again by about two hours because I've just been so in the zone and, you know, didn't even notice the world around me. You would think you sure. would kind of at some point feel there a little heat maybe in your pocket area, but, but that's just it. You get so focused and so into what you're doing, uh, you know, the stage behind you could fall down and you might not even notice it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 he was it's, okay it's, though, right? No burn marks or anything. No, he was fine. He yeah. was fine. You know, I mean, I mean, you want to talk about glamour? I mean, <laughs> this, this sort of this sort of this sort of summarizes. I mean, this is like terrible to say, but it, it, this sort of summarizes my career. Some days you play a show, you do it eight times a week. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you play a show and it's like amazing and inspired and like you're playing and it's like so fun. Other days you're playing and you're just not trying. You try not to pee your pants because right. you're like, "Oh my god, I go to the bathroom so bad. <laughs> if I wasn't playing the show right now, I'd be in the bathroom." You know, right. it's, it's it's the reality of the situation. It, it, 
it's it's not always as good to grind as you think. You know, it's like some days you're just trying to get through the show without you know having an accident. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because you're not feeling a hundred percent every day. I mean, you're human. You're not. You know, you still have ailments and things that'll happen. Some days you're just tired. Some days you just wake up with a, a little bit of a pain in your neck, and you've still got to go out there and play no matter what. But you yeah, also I, touched on something that other people uh, I, I don't really think think about a lot is the holidays. You're gone for oh. the majority of a year. Your holidays are not spent with your family. They're spent with your band family and your theater family and whatever, yeah. you know, whoever you're connecting with in town. And there really is a lot that goes into a production. It's not just about that couple hours that you're playing. I mean, it's, it's a whole life. Yeah, it is, it is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I think I've probably been away more Thanksgiving than I've been home these days. But yeah. you know what? But honestly... Being a musician in general, you're kind of usually away for Thanksgiving or New Year's yeah. or, or or sometimes even Christmas. Because when I was home during the, during the college years, I would do all those, you know, timpani gigs at churches on Christmas, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's sort of, at least on the road, like, in some ways it's better, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, you miss, you miss like the big family gatherings, but now with the way that my at least my family situated like nobody's really home anymore. If that makes sense, like yeah. everyone's all everyone's all over the place because I grew up on Long Island. No one can afford to live on Long Island anymore. Right. You know, like my my two brothers they moved down south. My mom and my stepdad they're down in Florida. Mm-hmm. My dad still my dad and my uncles and stuff they're still on Long Island, but they're way out east. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in Manhattan. So like, even when I'm I'm there, and then and then, like when I was home, I remember even the Thanksgiving I was home, I was subbing on a show, and I got called to sub on the show on Thanksgiving. So, <laughs> so it go. was like it was like I was like, well, I'm home, but like, I might as well be on the road. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's really no difference because you're still not with your family. And of course, you know, we always think it's going to be that Hallmark movie where we all just meet at the family cabin and everybody gets along. And then you find out somebody's hiding a secret. And, and you know. <laughs> wow, you watch a lot of hard, uh, Hallmark movies. Today. Well, you know, when you when you make Christmas music in July and when you live in the desert and it's 118 degrees, you've got to find some way to get in the holiday spirit. And, right. So is this is this why you write this holiday the, the horror holiday music? Well, that's why it's become that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, you know, the first one I did was the the mental sauna uh, Christmas one, and that was so difficult to get in the spirit of the holidays in June mm. when I started working on it. And so I just you know went on Netflix. I'm like, tell me that there's some Christmas movies that they don't delete during the rest of the year, and there were actually a whole mm. slew of them. So that uh, really kind of helped me. Just, just get at least in the zone because, sure. you know, I'm sweating like crazy in the studio. It's just, you know, it was 100 and I think 16 when I started the album. And it's wow. just so hard when you're, you know, I'm from Michigan. So like you being from New York, to us, mm-hmm. Christmas is cold and snow and, and, and it's really hard living in an environment that isn't at all like that and the, the, and the opposite time of the year to get in that mood. So yeah, I watched a ton of Christmas movies during that time. With the haunted holiday stuff, I don't have to as much because I kind of know how to simulate it now and it's really more mm-hmm. story driven. But for that sure. album certainly, yeah, that was a that was a real challenge. 
So did you watch like that like really bad movie with like the Christmas Prince or whatever? <laughs> I did. I watched I watched every every cheesy sort of, you know, uh Melissa Joan Hart's Holidays in Handcuffs, the one where she was uh, uh fake marrying uh Mario or uh like she had stolen Mario Lopez or something from Saved by the Bell. I just it didn't matter if it was a Christmas movie, I was going to have it on, you know, while I was Yeah, no. I I I I've watched it. I Sort of watched a couple of those movies myself when you're like, hey, nothing else is on. I went through, I just finished, uh, you know, Mad Men or something. Let me go watch, let me go watch something like Plus. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. It is I'm, what it is. I'm not quite ready to go through Breaking Bad again, so let's put on some Hallmark. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's quote unquote research, right? So, right. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> and that's why, uh, you know, obviously Netflix was a write off because it was research. Exactly. And yeah. you're, already pay, you're already paying for the subscription. You might as well use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, Greg, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. You know, you're, you're a great guy. You're one of those people that, you know, no matter what's going on in the world, like I can just look you up and whatever the last thing was that you said will make me smile. And I appreciate oh. the, the positive vibe that you bring to the world. You, you have a great attitude. Uh, I love that you appreciate the opportunities that you found. But you've made them happen. You know, they didn't just come to you because you were in a good mood. You created all that. So good job, man. A lot of it is, a lot of it was, um, some of it too is, you know, you know, we, I mean, I guess I talked about it a little bit on Dean's thing. It's for trying to put yourself in the position to succeed. You know, like I said, like shedding the book for three months, you know, before the, before the tour even started, right? That, mm-hmm. So like by the time I got to that first rehearsal, I knew it. So even if, things really went crazy haywire, I could at least be comfortable with the work that I did. Mm-hmm. You know, and sort of that, that, that gives you confidence. You know, as opposed to you go in there and try to sight read and then trying to figure out, okay, how's, what's the actual tempo this is supposed to be at? Or, or, right, yeah. You know, how many bars is this supposed to be? You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just little things like that. Or, or, or you know, like putting yourself in... Uh, you know, putting yourself, like I said about the audition thing, like, okay, well, at least I'm part of the group, so right. let's, you know, let me know when the next one comes out around. Yeah, but you didn't let it go. You followed through. You you found a new way to connect with that guy, and, and you made something out of nothing because most people would have just said, well, that didn't work out, and, and walked away. And I think that's the difference between people that are successful and people that aren't going to stand a chance or uh, uh, other than sheer dumb luck. Is are right. the people that that find those extra steps that they can take to you know to make a connection because really the relationships are everything. You're not going to get gigs if people don't know who you are. You're not going to get sure. gigs if people don't like you, no matter how good of a musician you are. If if they're not going to want to spend twelve months with you, you're not going on that tour. Sure, and, that, and that's the other thing too. Is like I mean, I got the Neverland tour because you know someone, my one of my. One of my best friends is guy Josh Samuels, who's you know we're competitive with each other, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> you know we're both you know we're both going up to some of the same gigs. But he calls me up and goes, "Hey man, this Neverland tour is going out. I got to get married, uh, so my wife's not going to let me go. Would you be interested in doing that tour?" And that's how I got, that's how I was like I was like absolutely I would do the tour. Wow. You know so he's like I got to get married. I can't do the tour. Should I put you in touch with the contractor? And that's how that's sort of what Regent started my his last like two tours that I've done. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been able to get my apartment. Mm-hmm. You know, all this all the yeah. things kind of fell in place because him and I 
we're fellow drummers. Mm-hmm. We both go for the same gigs, but we, we hit it off immediately. And then Josh is just, you think I'm happy? He's like, times 100. Right. Well, <laughs> and it, I, I'm glad he, he step, had you step in to do the gig and not say, I got to go do this gig. Would you step in and marry my girlfriend? Oh, that would have been weird. That would have been weird. That yeah. would have been a little weird because, you know, not giving her a say in it certainly would have not made her happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... That, now, uh, before we go, more. Where is uh, the movie "More Time" that you scored? Where is that at at this point? Is that uh, about to enter festivals or doing that circuit? It is going to enter festivals. Um, it got accepted. I, well, I think it got accepted to one of them, but the uh, you, can, you can probably find out. I think there's a website called like moretime.com. Okay. I can actually send you the. I can send you the actual link. That'd be great. Uh, later when I when I find. Because he's been like Facebook, Facebook, uh, Facebook uh, messaging us, like mm-hmm. information. But like one of the festivals wanted it to go him to put the film like online somewhere, and I think he wasn't quite comfortable with that. So yeah, there's a lot of restrictions when it comes to that because some of them, you know, you can't have ever shown it anywhere. They have to be the first ones, or they're not going to accept you. And then other places are, well, you know, you have to have had it available for so long before we'll show it in our festival. We want to we want to know it has a following before we'll show it. it there's there's right. such a crazy set of rules and everybody's got their own game that they play with that. Uh, th- that's a tough thing to schedule. But uh, I definitely wish you guys the best and uh, hope a lot well, of people you. see it and get to enjoy it. I hope so, too. I mean, it's a, it was a really uh, it was a beautiful it's a beautiful shot, beautifully shot film. And uh, when my parents came up and uh, visited me in the summer, I showed it to my mom. My mom cried. I'm like, oh, I did my job. You <laughs> yeah, felt something. Yeah. You felt yeah. something. This is great. As a you composer, know? that's the goal. I mean, and a lot of times people with film music, too, it, it's not necessarily about being heard. It's about being felt, almost a subconscious thing that you don't even realize it's playing. And yeah. uh, if you can make somebody feel something in those moments, you've really got something special right there. Yeah, I mean, it was, and it, you know, I mean, granted, it's my mom as well, but it's also well, the subject yeah. matter. It's also about the, the subject matter, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, about, I mean, basically, there's, it's not really much of a, uh, a plot. It's just the whole thing is that, like, people, people's spirits come and, like, sort of visit them to get some more time with them before they pass on to the next day. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's called more time. So it's sort of like, so it's like, you know, so my mom was... Um, spoiler alert, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> so that's why my mom was like affected by it, you know. And um, but also the music, the music helped. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, full props to the director and the, uh, the 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 team over there because I, you know, I, I I had written a little bit more music than what's in the film now, so I had to. Sure. They're like, there's a little bit too much here. Can it be? more sparse and you know the way like you said felt not heard so much so like you know but it was it was cool it was a really fun collaboration because at at least i was getting notes but he was doing it very um amicably and he wasn't not happy with my work it was just we can just make ways to make it better so it doesn't interfere with the dialogue you know that's the thing you just don't want someone berating you and making you feel like you don't know what you're doing Right. It was the yeah. opposite of that. It was it was like great. It's, it sounds really good, but like to just be a little bit less in the dialogues there. 
Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the, the goal is the same for all of us. I mean, we're all a team trying to make the project the best project it can be. And you're, you know, if you want to get the best out of people, you treat them properly. You know, you, you support yeah. them, you get excited when they do something. And, you know, you, you can, there's ways of telling people, I don't like what you did or this doesn't work that are mean or that are supportive. And if they're mean, you're not going to have a good reputation. They're going to say, hey, I didn't like working with this guy. He's kind of a jerk. Or, right. you know what, this guy because was Because you made great. them feel defensive. Exactly. You made exactly. them feel defensive. I mean, it was like I had a, the, the conductor on the Netherlands where <laughs> he would just say something, but it wouldn't be like, this would be very matter of fact. You knew, okay, don't cross that line. It was very, it was very mm-hmm. cool. He was like, you, like you, let's say you did, like I did do something, I did a film. He goes, wow, that was kind of a busy film tonight, Greg, huh? <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> it was like, and it was, but it made you laugh. But you said, "All right, I'm not going to do that anymore." You know, right? It yeah, was, it was very cool. I get your point, and I appreciate you didn't just yell at me for doing it. Right, and it you wasn't, know, and yeah. like, it wasn't like he called you out in front of everybody. He just, he doesn't would come by. He goes, "Hey, that was kind of good tonight, huh?" <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah. See, those. That's what I mean. Like, those are the kind of people I like to work with, and really, those are kind of the people I like to keep in my life. I want positive, supportive. Let's all work together to build things, and there's no reason to have egos or compete or whatever. We can all get there together. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably the biggest thing. Is like you know when you do a show, try to get your ego out of the way. Because it's not about you, it's about the show. Right. You know, same thing with film scoring, right? Like, you're, it's not about you, it's about telling the story. Exactly. One of the components of telling the story. I mean, mm-hmm. playing drums for a, a show is the same thing. Right. You know? So you, just, you just have the option of being louder than everyone else if you really wanted to. <laughs> well, the sound guys these days can turn you down now. Yeah, that's, that's true. Like, that's, a lot of shows have B drums now, too. So, you know, it's like, yeah. like oh, let's just turn that off. <laughs> a friend of mine who who uh, who does a lot of live stuff, he was telling me that you know he hates when they give him the V drum kits. He likes the kits themselves, but when mm-hmm. he's playing live and he really wants that snare to crack or you know he mm-hmm. he wants that kick to really come through, hitting it harder does not help. Once you've hit that one twenty seven volume cap, it doesn't it's matter good. what you do beyond that, and it's so frustrating. He says he comes home really sore because he's mm-hmm. constantly trying to be louder than the drum will allow him to be. And I said, well, stop playing those kits then because that's not going to help you get there. Either that or you can turn your mix. Uh, I'm sure if you have D-drums, you have to have some sort of way of mixing it. Well, if he's got, a, if he's got an external audio engineer, though, that's controlling it, you know, if, if he's got it, the volume cranked to 10, uh, it's kind of out of his hands at that point. Right, but if he, if he has... I don't know why I'm going to tell this guy a little but if he... But if he has his drums at 10 and he can somehow get a mix where everyone else is at like 7, then his drums will, set, will sound louder. And he won't find, he'll find himself not... Psychologically, you'll find yourself not hitting the drums as hard. Very true. Because, because it's already loud. Mm-hmm. You know, it's already towards, probably where he feels it's going to... You know, where he lives you know, when you're playing a regular kit. Because a regular kit, you play drums, it's like, okay, the keyboards are not going to be as loud as the drums are because just because of the acoustics of the mission. Mm-hmm. So probably what, he, what he's missing is that thing of like, probably the drums have to be louder than everything else within his own mix. Right. And then everything will be, everything will kind of be relative and then he'll figure it out, you know. Find you know, that balance. Because at the end of the day, it's about not getting injured. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to play tomorrow, it is, yeah. 
Yeah, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's my only, that's my only thing as, as far as that stuff's concerned. Cause, you know, Vitron's just get, does get kind of frustrating because if you're playing within the mix, it's like, well, I don't know, frequency wise, things can get lost and things can get kind of weird. So you got to kind of have the drums a little bit louder, I think, than some of the other stuff. Yeah, I would agree with that. Otherwise, otherwise you don't hear it. Then you right. Go, I got to put, then you start playing louder and it doesn't help. Like you said, it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, once you've crossed the threshold, it, it, you can just keep hitting it. As, you could jump on the thing, and it's not going to get any louder. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Well, Greg, I wish you uh, the guys the best of success on uh, on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That sounds like a fantastic show. I can't wait till you guys come to Vegas uh, sometime next spring. But, uh, oh, we're coming there... in the summer. Oh, in the summer, June. okay. You're like June, yeah. Oh, now I have to wait longer even. It's a little, yeah, it's a little, bit of, a little bit of a wait, but... Hopefully it won't be like 400. You'll be working on your next Halloween album by that point. <laughs> probably, yeah. Probably. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show, man. I uh, hope to have you on again at some point. And, uh, oh, just, man. You know, stay warm I would love out to do a follow-up. Yeah, let's, definitely. Let's do a follow-up. Let's do a follow-up, baby. That'd be awesome. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Cool. We'll see you again soon, my friend. All right. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure to be on, man. Thank you. Thank you. Real down-to-earth people. That's what I like. People that value and appreciate what they do. Not just the offers and the chances that they've been given, but the fact that they created those chances. They went out of their way to do something. Uh, that's why they're successful. And Greg is definitely one of those people, uh, you know, from the, from the stories he was telling us earlier. So uh, find that extra step. Find that thing that you can do that you haven't figured out yet. Something that's a little different to catch someone's eye. You never know where it can lead you. Have a great win, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next week.